Have you had your soup today? And the cold, crisp taste of Coke is so satisfying, it keeps me from eating something else that might really add those pounds. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to not another episode of Sheologians. I am here today alone. My name is Summer Yeager. I'm not here with my beautiful co-host, Joy, so fair warning to you all. Joy could not make it into the studio today. So what you're about to get is what's been on my mind for the last week. And this is, like I said, fair warning. Stop ye who go here if you don't want my 10 cents and what I've been thinking about the last week. I'm also going to answer a couple listener questions. I thought I would just take the time to do that since Joy can't join me. So if she's your favorite part of the show, which, you know, I wouldn't blame you. Sorry about this week. I do want to tell you guys. So this is super exciting. Um, I am best good friends with Tom Askell's daughter. Her name is Hannah and she is fantastic. And she and I are in cahoots. We would like to give you guys 25% off the book that we are doing for book club. That is By What Standard? God's World, God's Rules. It's edited by Jared Longshore. It's got chapters in it from Bodie Bauckham, Tom Askell, some other favorite people of mine, especially on Twitter. They're fun. Um, So if you go to founders.org, that's founders, F-O-U-N-D-E-R-S.org, And you buy the book from there and enter the code SHEOLOGIANS, you will get 25% off the book. So if you've been on the fence about joining book club, we're going to have a good time, you guys. It's just, this is the time. This is the time to be having these discussions. And I have been so blessed. I've been so blessed by the other women that have been in book club. We have had people from Switzerland, Australia, New Zealand. We've got a lot of Canadian sisters up in there. Very wise. Some of my favorites. Um, And we are starting that on April 21st. So if you want to join us, go get your book at founders.org with the code slash sheologians. Get 25% off. That is only today, the 12th until Wednesday, the 14th. So for the next three days, If you're listening to this after that, I'm sorry, the code is not going to work. (laughs) Anyway, um, so I had a best good friend of mine put this quote on my radar, and it's something I've been thinking about a lot, and it answers actually several listener questions that we have gotten lately. I guess a couple weeks ago, Joy and I started talking about contentment. I don't remember what we said. Sorry, just being honest. Um... And it's just something that is continually coming up in our conversations with you guys, with listeners. It's something that comes up in my inbox quite often. And uh, one of my friends handed me this quote by J.C. Ryle, and I thought, how appropriate, how fitting uh, for something that we've been talking about a lot lately. The quote is very simple. It's one, two sentences. Uh, J.C. Ryle in his book, Holiness, said, a true Christian is one who has not only peace of conscience, but war within. He may be known by his warfare as well as by his peace. So uh, there's a lot packed into that, uh, but we can, it's extremely simple. And I think 
a lot of Christians feel this tension in their lives of the the mystery of a spiritual life. Um, and I really like what he's pointing out here, which is that we can at, we can be at peace during war because we are trusting in God and content with all that he does. So a Christian who has not learned contentment will not be able to be at peace while also fighting the good fight of faith, right? So Paul uses a lot of uh, battle, warfare language, uh, putting on the armor of God, uh, fighting the good fight, running the race, things like that. And so something I come across often in speaking with Christian women is this real internal discomfort with conflict, conflict with others, conflict within themselves. And I think there is a maybe a fleshly desire, possibly a prideful desire to have everything be really black and white and straightforward and simple and understandable. But we have to understand and live in light of the fact that we serve a God not of our own making, but we serve the God of the universe who is holy and wise and he, his ways are above our ways. He is beyond our thorough understanding. And of course, there are many things in this life that we will never be able to fully wrap our heads around. And it's the height of arrogance to think that we can. So why is there suffering? Why must I go through hard things? Why do my loved ones have to experience trials? Why can't I be sin-free now? These are all questions that really can only be asked with human eyes and with human understanding. And I think they reveal a heart that is not content to trust God in all things and to believe that he is sovereign and working all things together for the good of those who love him, as as Romans tells us. And all of these things should be to the praise of his glorious grace, all of our trials, all of our sufferings, um, all of the seeming conflicts that we go through between being Christians who are at peace and being Christians who are also at war. Um, and I will say, it's one thing to ask these kinds of questions. Uh, why is there suffering? Why are there trials? It's one thing to ask them because they must be settled in our minds, right? We need to settle that in our minds. A Christian needs to to answer, be able to answer that question. It's a good thing to work through the problem of suffering and evil in the world and to wrestle with things that are difficult. The psalmist did that. Um, so we have that example in scripture and, and it's not a sin. Uh, the sin would be to ask these questions from a heart of complaint, from a heart that is, uh, you know, kind of deep in the muck of despair and kind of rolling around in it. Um, and, and a heart that is not aimed at pleasing and trusting God in word and thought and deed and action. Um, so how, so how do we, how do we be at peace and also fight the good fight of faith as Paul tells us to? The answer is that we trust and obey God. We look to him knowing that he goes before us and that he has told us in scripture what he requires of us. And the Christian life is a battle. It's a battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? So this whole, I, I think there's a whole weird pacifism thing um, that's being popularized in the church uh, by people who want the church to be feminized. Uh, and I don't believe that this position can meet with scripture. I don't believe it jives with scripture. I don't think it can be reconciled 
with scripture. Uh, we are not called to woo people into loving Jesus. Um, we are called to live lives that are peaceable and quiet and minding of our own affairs. That's all true. But friendship with Jesus is enmity with the world. Uh, by being a friend of Jesus, you are at war with the world, the flesh, and the devil. And saying that Jesus is Lord is not just a a spiritual statement, right? So it is a spiritual statement, but it is not just a spiritual statement. It would have been understood in Jesus's day as also being a political statement. The reason that is, is because, right, Caesar is Lord. That's what they were saying. Caesar is Lord was a political statement. He was Lord over all. Um, and as we render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, we also must render unto the Lord what is his. So that coin in Rome that had Caesar's image on it was Caesar's. That's why you rendered it to Caesar. It was stamped with his image. Well, you are stamped with an image as well. You are an image bearer of God. You bear the creator's image. Therefore, you must render unto the Lord what is his. And that includes yourself. That includes humanity being made in the image of God. Um, and so as we render ourselves unto the Lord, we you cannot render yourself unto the Lord unless you are trusting him. So we need to trust him and we need to be at peace that he has already won this battle, battle that victory is his. Um, and so we can go off to war triumphant in that um, and secure in that. There's the reason we can be at peace with the battle that is before us, the battle against our own sin, uh, the battle against the devil, battle against the world. Uh, we can trust that the victory is the Lord's and, and we are secure in that. And that is how you can be at peace as a Christian who's also at war. I also want to say, I think a lot of our internal conflicts and struggles uh, would be resolved if we commit to not looking at the world. Uh, we all must be ready and willing today to be ridiculed and mocked and derided for our faith. If this is not already settled in your heart and in your head, uh, things are going to be really difficult for you. You must be, you must be willing to look down on. Uh, you must be willing to be told that you're not quote unquote Christ-like because, oh man, oh man, <laughs> you're going to be told that you are not being Christ-like. If you come into conflict with statism, feminism, wokeism, whatever the ism, you are going to be told that you don't look like Jesus. And this right now is the time for you to learn how to be blessed when you are called all kinds of names for Jesus's sake. Uh, another word, uh, this has blessed me lately to know, another word for blessed is happy. And so we should be happy in this. We should be rejoicing in this. We should rejoice when we're reviled. That's what Jesus says. Of course, as long as the thing you're being reviled for is faithful and true, then you have cause to rejoice. So just get cozy with it now. Uh, this seeming contradiction inherent in living the Christian life, being faithful to God, it looks like foolishness to the world. And faithfulness will often make you look faithless to those who have little faith. So just get used to it and go about your business joyfully. All right, I want to switch gears. I want to talk really quickly. It's, I mean, if you're listening to this on Monday, this is old news for you now. 
Uh, but I want to talk about Grace Life Church in Alberta, Canada. I'm sure that you all saw last week uh, that the government came and erected some like a double fence around their buildings. They didn't have access to it. This is the church of Pastor James Coates. He was in jail. I think they held him for 35 days. I could don't hold me to that number, but I think he was held in jail for 35 days. What's really interesting. <laughs> I mean, I that was nervous laughter. Um, when Pastor Coates was in jail, that same jail released a guy who was in prison for rape and they actually put out a message to the community that they thought that he would do it again but he'd served his jail time so there he goes so while pastor Coates was in jail for uh, not turning away people at the door of his church they released a rapist that they believe would commit the crime again back into the community just in case you guys think that we're dealing with a government that is bearing God's sword uh anyway they fenced off Grace Life Church so that nobody could get into the building obviously there's a lot of problems with this it's private property but you know it has displeased the crown that the church meet and there are many Christians that are defending this action from the government right now. They're shrugging it off like it's no big deal. And I just want to say really quickly that that is judgment upon the nation. Because as the church goes, so goes the culture. And the, imp the impotence of a church that by and large will not stand up and say no, but will make excuses and bow down to Caesar is absolute judgment upon us. I don't, I don't have a ton more to say about that. Other than this is judgment and please be in prayer, be in prayer for Grace Life Church in Edmonton, uh, be in prayer for the pastors and their families, be in prayer for the Christians. I mean, man, I've been talking to the ladies in Canada and some of them, they haven't been in church in a year. I mean, it's it's bad. It's bad up there. Um and I think, you know, obviously Grace Life and what's happening, they have they have international attention right now. Um, they clearly have been chosen by the Lord to stand up to this tyranny and may God be with them and strengthen them because uh, I'm sure that it's been it's been an extremely rough road. Although I have talked to some people, um, I've talked to two people that go to Grace Life and uh they have just been very encouraged by everything that's going on. The church has really come together, you know, the persecuted church grows. So it sounds like exactly what you would expect would be happening um, up there in terms of the, di the difficulty, but also the blessings. So in keeping with, I don't know, whatever theme I'm clearly going with, I have two books that I want to recommend to you guys. This is really just me taking the time to do stuff I would never do during a normal episode. So let me tell you about these books. The first book that I want to recommend to you is Elizabeth Elliot's Suffering is Never for Nothing. Um, I read it earlier this year. I was in bed recovering from delivering our Mara Joy. She was my second miscarriage in a year, and I was about 17 weeks along when I delivered her. So I needed this book. Um, I can't. I cannot recommend it enough. I actually had. Um, I had my fifth grader read it as well. She was able to uh, read it and get a lot out of it. So it's very simple. It's a quick read. It's encouraging. It will change you. Pick it up. It's called Suffering Is Never for Nothing, and it's by Elizabeth Elliot. Another book specifically 
on the topic of losing a child that I want to recommend to you is a little book called From Grief to Glory by James W. Bruce. It was recommended to me by a pastor out, I believe, in Virginia earlier this year. I trust the guy. I know he's solid. His church is solid. So I didn't ask any questions. I just picked it up. And uh, this will be the book I give any of my friends dealing with miscarriage. I just cannot recommend it enough. It's short and encouraging and to the point. So if you or a loved one are walking through that particular trial, or if you know someone who's lost a child, I highly recommend it. Uh, So I also want to say two quick things um, on how to be actively and intentionally stuffing your brain. And uh, if you have kids, your children's brain. Uh, with the things of the Lord. So your children's brains especially are just primed and ready for memorization. So if you have little kids, if you have children, now is the time. The first and I think the simplest avenue to do this with, um, to really put the things of the Lord regularly on your mind throughout the day is through music. I just, I cannot recommend enough finding ways to fill your house with worship music. I mean, make a playlist. It's 2021. Make a playlist of worship songs, hymns, and be playing them all the time. Uh, One thing that I like to do is to, you know, when your kids are little, especially, maybe you have some that can't read or they're, you know, borderline learning how to read. And so you've got the hymn in front of you or you've got it up on the projector or whatever, what have you. Um, If your kids are listening to these songs throughout the week, they're not going to be dependent on their ability to read. So you can prepare them for Sundays by playing music throughout the week that you know you're going to be singing at church. And it's important that your kids be singing at church. So all you mamas out there, you can make it happen. Get Spotify, get Apple Music, make a YouTube playlist, do whatever you got to do, but put a song in their heart. They don't control the radio in the car, right? You do. So all that travel time, redeem the time, man. They don't have the TV remote. I have a, um, my sweet husband bought me a record player for Christmas a couple years ago, and it's also a Bluetooth player. So I can stream my worship playlist right on that. It's in the living room. It's ready to go. And my kids ask me to play music all the time. So set the tone, make it a worshipful one, and put those psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs in their hearts. I just, I really can't recommend it enough. Um, On a similar note, get ye into the word. Bring your children with you. It's so important. I cannot recommend enough uh, for adults and kids to be regularly in the word, but also to really work on memorization. Um, This is something that, you know, we think about the persecuted church and how when the Bible is taken away, right? how do you have the word of the Lord? Well, you have it hidden away in your heart. Um, And that is something that I want my kids to be regularly in the practice of. And so, you know, this school year, uh, I think my, my fifth grader, she got Colossians one and part of two memorized and we're finishing up Romans one right now. I think by next week, all of my kids that are of elementary age, uh, fifth, fourth and second will have Colossians 1, parts of Colossians 2, and Romans 1 memorized. So um, it's just a daily practice. There's no magic secret to memorization. I mean, some people will try to tell you there is. I'm sure there's like podcasts out there like hacking the brain or whatever. I don't I don't have any 
hot tips for you other than you just practice it every day. My kids have to write three verses a day. I highly recommend writing like writing a verse down really forces you to slow down and meditate in a way that you might not otherwise. And so getting in the practice of writing down scripture, saying it out loud together, writing down scripture, saying it out loud together, and it's the repetition that makes this stick. So, and kids, by the way, their memories, I mean, y'all know how great my memory is. (laughs) Um, Their memories are great. And part of building their brains into, you know, highly functional adult brains that are sharp is to work at work on memory work. And so memorize scripture. It's also great writing practice. I've gotten it's been such a blessing to watch my second graders handwriting just dramatically change over the last school year as she's been getting in the practice of writing these verses every morning. So anyway, that's a hot tip for you. I highly recommend it. Uh, Okay, I have two more things. I get this question a lot. Uh, We we do. I've been reading along with the Christchurch Bible Reading Challenge for a couple years now, and I also host a discussion at my house on Monday nights with ladies from church over what we have read. Um, It's been a huge blessing. And a question a question that I get a lot in person and also from you guys is like about the pace of the reading, like why so much? Um, And so I would encourage you to time yourself if you haven't, because it's really not that much. But this interesting happened, this interesting thing happened the other day where I was listening to and and not not by choice, mind you. Um, This fitness expert was talking about his philosophy as to why he doesn't have the people that he trains, his clients, he doesn't have them train to exhaustion because he says what that does is it makes them less likely to work out the next day or even the next two days uh, if you train to exhaustion because of the soreness in your muscles and all that. So what he he does is he has clients do uh, small sets with small weight uh, working up incrementally over time because they're much likely to work more. They're more likely to work out the next day. So if you're doing, you know, three sets of 10 with a low weight, you are much more likely to work out the next day. Uh, if you rather than if you did like five sets of 12 with a higher weight because of your, your soreness. And so the next day you're not going to be as fatigued. So his point was at the end of the week, who has done more sets of this workout? Who has done more push-ups? The person who was doing something manageable every day or the person who went for broke every time they worked out but didn't get to exercise, you know, more consistently because of how sore they were and how much pain they were in. And I actually think as I was the only reason I kept listening to this guy <laughs> because he came across my feed was uh because I think this actually goes along with Bible reading. So the Bible reading challenge, if you did it for 10 years, you would have read the Old Testament 10 times in 10 years and the New Testament 20 times in 10 years. Because the Bible reading challenge, you end up reading the New Testament twice a year and the Old Testament once a year. And so which you is going to know let's say the book of Isaiah better, the one who read it 10 times in 10 years 
or the one who has maybe gotten through it once or twice because, you know, you just couldn't move on to the next chapter until you had done all of your word studies and you felt like your curiosity was fully satisfied, right? A lot of people say, I just can't read at this pace because I don't feel like I'm getting everything out of it that I should be getting out of it. Well, I don't really know what you think you should be getting out of the Bible every time you read it. Um, But Bible reading, hopefully, is something that you're going to be doing for the rest of your life. Um, And we don't eat this way. So it's interesting. (laughs) It's interesting that we approach um, consuming the word this way. And it's not wise to approach working out that way. Anyway, according to that one guy. So why approach the word that way? We don't study or read to fatigue. We should we should do it faithfully marching on every day. So if you're unfamiliar with the book of Isaiah, the best way to get familiar with it is to read it many times. Um, obviously, we should be willing to read with others, to read in the context of church, to talk to others, open co- trusted commentaries. That's all well and good. I'm not saying you should never <laughs> look into what you're reading. But unless you're a seminary student, let's be real, you aren't going to be making time to finish a Hebrew word study through every chapter in the book of Isaiah anytime soon. And maybe maybe you will, you know, power to you. But um, I know that the way that I'm going to become more familiar with Isaiah is if I'm regularly actually reading the book. So anyway, that's my encouragement is don't study to fatigue. Be familiar with the word. Trust the Lord. Read in the context of, you know, with discernment and with others. And um there's a reason that you're in a church. If you really ha- if you're really struggling with a specific Bible passage, hopefully you have um, shepherds and elders that can help you with those things. But my my just big encouragement here is to uh, keep reading, keep eating, and and don't become fatigued. That is not the goal of being in the word. So the last thing I want to say is that and I don't know that Joy and I have talked about this on the show, which is like a huge just wow and whoops. I know I talked about it um on Facebook, but we are partnering. Uh, we have a friend who has launched a coffee company and the whole purpose of the coffee company is to help missions. And they have partnered with the Heart Cry Missionary Society, which I don't know. Maybe you guys really have a missionary society that you love that's not heart cry, but for me, it's heart cry. So I was super excited when my friend said that they were going to be launching this coffee company and structuring it specifically in a way that we can trust and know that this money is going to help the mission field. So we jumped on it. We want to be a part of this. We want to help out with that. Heart cry is a great great missionary society. Um, that's It's the one that Paul Washer is with. So if you know anything about Paul Washer, you can feel good about this. Um, so if you go to missionfirstcoffee.com slash sheologians, you can buy your coffee there. They are going to be adding uh, more blends and all that soon. Hey, you guys are already buying coffee. Why not help spread the gospel while you're at it? We live in 2021. It's crazy that we can do this kind of thing. I'm super excited about it. Like I said, I know the people, Joy and I know um, the people behind it, and they are just absolutely fantastic. You do not have to worry about, you don't have to worry about that. 
So anyway, that's it. Um, hit us up at patreon.com slash sheologians. You can leave us a voicemail. Oh, no. 470? Yep. Okay. Joy's not here for me to look at. I'm just realizing now that I look at her when I get stressed out about this. 470-465-0475. Hit us up at patreon.com slash sheologians. Don't forget to grab your book, Buy What Standard, at founders.org and put in code until the 14th. Put in code sheologians and you will get 25% off. And Lord willing, Joy and I will be back next week. See you guys then. Bye.